welcome back, Richard. It's it's good to see you. Um, we have a we have a bit of a tough topic today. Um, we do, mm-hmm. and we want to sort of uh, put a little warning at the beginning uh, of the show today because we're going to be talking about some pretty difficult um, things, especially for for parents and and families who have um, and and kids who who know people who have kind of gone through some of these uh, issues. We're gonna we're gonna be talking about. Um, you know, suicide today, and we're going to be talking about sort of some of the risk factors and some of the alarming numbers that we're seeing as it relates to uh, children and teenagers um, and, and their the rising rates of, of suicide attempts and, and completions that we're seeing at that, at that age level. Right. Yeah, something's, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a lot of um, information coming out that some in the first two decades of the of this new millennium, from 2000 to 2020 or 2021, 22, um, there's been a, a, a sort of a dramatic increase in mental health issues. Um, that, and I and I guess it was all triggered by the pandemic. You know that we're saying we're trying to figure out why the increase in mental health issues. But along with that comes this alarming rise in suicide rates among children and teens. Um, right. And that's, I guess, the alarming part is it's also among children. And it's it's one of the scariest things, I think, that any parent faces. Um, when, a, when a parent comes in, they'll say, well, my child is saying he doesn't want to live anymore, or we might be better off without him, or I'm too much trouble. Um, should those... Um, should those things be taken seriously? And what, what should we do about that? Is he serious? And so it is a, it, it's a serious topic that's, while it's difficult to talk about, um, really needs, really does need to be discussed um, because nobody's, very few of us are, know exactly what to do right. when confronted with this. But um, I think what, what we'd like to do here is, is talk about the increase but also what to do about it. What, what should parents and other uh, teenagers do about it? Absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, again, kind of loading, loading things up, up, up front, you know, it's again, a, a difficult conversation, a difficult right. topic to, to discuss um, one that needs to happen, uh, but a difficult topic. And, and we're talking about it um, based upon data that's been published and some information that's out there that has, has been published. And we're going to, Offer uh, a variety of um, resources in the show notes so that you can you can read some more. Um, but you know, th- there has been a significant increase, and, and we're we're going to kind of go through some of those statistics in just a moment. But um, it, when I as I'm working in the schools now, um, it, one of the things that we've noticed, and you know, just about anyone who's working with students in in the schools um, can can attest. Um, there's a significant increase in just the number of students talking about it. Um, you know, I, I work, I have a couple of elementary schools that I work in and, and even in those schools, it, it is remarkable the number of students who just, who, who make statements that suggest suicidal ideation, um, mm-hmm. that they don't want to be alive anymore, that they, you know, should have never been born or that they just want to die or, um, and it, it's, it's really difficult because, on one hand, you know that there are some students who are who who say it um, because out of frustration, um, out of you know 
again, if we're just being honest, to get to get out of something that they really don't want to be involved in, a, a lesson or a, an assignment that they don't, don't want to do. Um, some say it because of uh, inter, interpersonal social relationship issues. Um, very, very few students who make those statements really acknowledge that they want to, you know, when you interview them and you talk to them afterwards, it's, they, they say that they said it out of anger or they say they um, just needed a break or, or, or something. Um, but any statement that's made about it, we have to take seriously. And, right. and that is where we get into this dilemma of, um, you know, how, what do we do about it? How do we know if it's serious? How do we know what's going on? So we're going to be talking about um, a, a variety of, of, cues or or warning signs and some of those kinds of things but recognize that man it, it is really difficult to know what's really going on in inside um inside a student's mind or a kid's mind or a teenager's mind uh, you know as they're experiencing some of these things so um you know richard as you said the the past couple of decades since 2000 from 2000 to 2021 Right. The number of suicide attempts. So, so this isn't even just someone saying it, because that, that's what I was kind of referring to, just some kids talking about it. Right. Um, but the number of suicide attempts quadrupled for children between the ages of 10 and 12. Right. We're talking right. about we're, we're talking about elementary school kids. These are elementary school kids, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a significant increase um, from 2000 to 2020. Right. Um, quadrupled. Mm-hmm. That's right. And these data, these are from the National Poison um, Data System. So these are reported attempts. Right. And how many, how many went unreported? And these are, again, these are just poisonings. They're not um, other attempt, other kinds of attempts, because uh, frequently you don't know. And um, so, so these are just, this is just one data set. And, and so again, we're talking about this 20 year period. Uh, from 2000 to 2020, where everybody who's looking at this, pediatricians and poison control centers and hospital emergency rooms, are all reporting this um, very dramatic rise in in suicide rates in that uh, 20-year period. Um, Now, as typical, uh, 71% were made by girls, okay, Um, because girls tend to attempt more often than boys, at least uh, poisonings by girls, okay? Because girls tend to take, to, to, uh, to use pills. Um, now, 70% of the attempts had no adverse health care. In other words, they weren't really hurting themselves. So was it a cry for help or was it a real attempt? And yet over a thousand deaths occurred from this and that alarms everybody. Well, and I think that, you know, I, I don't know how people will respond when they hear that over a 20 year period, there were a thousand deaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have, you know, there, there are more than that, uh, more than that number of people die from COVID uh, right. on a daily basis. But even, but yet we're, we're talking about, again, remember 10 to 12 year olds, right. Um, a thousand deaths over a 20 year period. That's about 50 a year. Mm-hmm. That's almost one week. week. One week of, of kids between the ages of ten and twelve that are committing suicide, um, and and it, so that that's a that is a significant number, mm-hmm. um, and when we 
just when we're thinking about these numbers, I think it's important to keep that in mind that we're, that we're talking about, you know, one a week who uh, um, a, a kid between the ages of 10 and uh, 12 who, who dies from suicide. Um, mm-hmm. That's a pretty remarkable number. It is. That's right. And what, what, what brings this into perspective is that in, in 2000, uh, suicide attempts accounted for about half the calls. Uh, half of the calls were from kids 10 to 12. In 2020, they accounted for 80% of the calls, this same age group. So the attempts and attempted and successful suicide rates are appearing in a, in young, at younger and younger ages. And right. we're going to talk about in very young children, right. the, the increases are, um, are going up. So, And again, we're two, talking about calls to the poison control. That's, that's, this is just one set of data. Right. This isn't this isn't um, hospital visits for people who are cutting for, for kids who are cutting themselves or anything like that. This is just data from poison control. Right. And and you say, well, it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, a thousand deaths doesn't seem alarming. You know, when you think that we're, you know, COVID accounted for more than that every day in, in some places. But we're talking about uh, what becomes an extraordinarily serious sobering issue for parents because every parent worries about this right um you know when you hear about it or you see a tv show um it's every parent's worst of course it's every parent's worst nightmare so the significance is not just in the numbers it's in the it's in the importance of this to uh parents and um and families so so sort of building upon this is the is some there's some other data um that that's suggesting that not only are, are there more calls, um, more attempts? Um, but it also appears as though there are more um, completions, uh, That's right. more uh, actual deaths. Uh, from between 2010 and 2020, um, the suicide death rates increased by 50% um, for kids, uh, teenagers between the ages of 13 and 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and they doubled for the, that 10 to 12 year old range. Yeah, um, the, alarming, the, the alarming part of this is success. Uh, that's oxy, it's an oxymoron, you know, um, but we talk about successful attempts um, or what we mean by that, are, it, w- it was a successful suicide because the child died, um, that the death rate has increased. Right. Know? So there's a lethality here that we also need to understand is it's not just the attempts have gone up, the death rate has gone up as well. Right. And, and, and so it, and, and there may be a, a number of reasons for that. Um, it could be that, um, you, you know, that these kids are, are, are more serious. And so they are using more lethal means. Right. Um, that, that's usually how we, you know, when we think about the statistics, you mentioned earlier that um, uh, uh, there's usually a higher percentage of attempts are by uh, females. Right. Um, and, but there's usually more percentage wise, there's more completions. There's more um, actual deaths by men, by ba- males, because they usually use more lethal means. That's right. Um, but so, but we, so we don't know if this increases because they're using more lethal means. They just have access, uh, the availability of more lethal means, mm-hmm. or if they are, if there's really just that significantly more, um, you know, numbers wise, that many right. more are attempting. Yep. Yep. But we do know that by, by 2014, um, these, are, these data are from Utah. Utah did a really, um, a more thorough analysis of this than many states did. And by 2014, suicide had become the second leading cause of death 
among children ages 10 to 14. And I think it was the leading cause of death. It was the leading cause of death in the 10 to 17 year old group. Right. Okay. Now that becomes significant. Sure. <laughs> you know, you have all kinds of laws about driving and about, you know, safety issues and seatbelts and helmets. And yet the leading cause of death is not because you weren't wearing your bicycle helmet or you weren't wearing your seatbelt. In this, in these age groups, it was the 10 to 17. It was the leading cause of death in that age group. Right. Um, that again, gives you a little perspective. A- absolutely. And, and I think that, um, you know, we've done podcasts before talking about like social media and some of those kinds mm-hmm. of things. But, you know, it, while it's certainly correlational, uh, it, we can't say that there's a one to one relationship between these things. But, you know, in about as we look back at the data, it, you can see that in 2013, the, um, the increase in these rates became very apparent. You, you could definitely see, OK, we had this upward trend in the number of attempts and the number of um deaths by suicide. Right. Um, so that, that became very apparent by 2013 and, and has continued to increase since then. And of course, that is right around the time that a lot of social media um, really launched and became very apparent. And as we've talked about before, you know, um, you know social media is a, is a bit of a uh, paradox because there's plenty of research to suggest that the more time you spend on social media, the more lonely you feel, the more depressed you feel, and, and the more that you have some of these mental health issues. And so it, it's, it, we, we have to note that there is this relationship between these suicide uh, attempts and um, deaths and, and social media and, and other, other electronic um, devices and media and things like that. Right, yeah, because if you look at the, what researchers do is they look at this 20 year period and they see this dramatic increase at a, in about halfway, about 2013. So at about the halfway mark, we see this dramatic increase. And that's about the time that all these uh, social media outlets were launched. I think the cell phone, didn't the iPhone come out in 2010? Was it 2010 or? Something like that. So anyway, all, this, all these things began to appear. Now, does that, we, we, know, we know that it didn't cause it, but. Um, but we know that uh, mental illness, rates of mental illness and depression and anxiety increased. We know that children can Google, you know, we talk about the increased lethality. You can Google this. If a kid, if a, if a child today wants to know if they're having suicidal thoughts, they can Google it and they can get instructions about how many pills to take and when to take them and if should if you should drink alcohol with them. So there are instructions on this, right. sadly. Um, so we always laugh about, well, how do, you, how do I know how to change my windshield wipers? Well, you Google it or you go to YouTube. Well, there are Google and YouTube videos that, that kids can watch. So we, we don't really know what, why these, two, how these two things are related. All we know is um, that around 2013, the rates of attempts and successful suicides uh, increased dramatically. And that's about the time that all the social media, we're not blaming social media, we're just saying there is some type of relationship that we don't really understand. It might just be because maybe more kids are depressed because of social media and depression uh, we know is related to suicide. So we don't know that effect. And added to that, we don't really know the effect of the pandemic. 
right. on our rates of, of attempts or successful suicides. Uh, we know that, what we do know is that by February of 2021, suicide attempts in this 12 to 17 year old age group increased by 50% over what they were in 2019. So again, we think the pandemic has, um, has exacerbated, made this problem worse. But again, we just haven't had time to do enough careful research to, to know exactly what the numbers are. Yeah, because you know we don't know if it was because of COVID. Um, it, there's been some right. research to suggest that COVID itself, the actual virus, can can increase risk for some mental health issues, or if it was the isolation, the the the, the quarantining uh, that we had to do, and, and those kinds of things. Um, again, loneliness is one of the one of the major issues associated with um, depression and mental health issues that could lead to, to suicidal ideation. So, um, so, so there's a lot. There's a lot of other factors that we have to examine, um, but but I think that you know there are some if we, if you want to say tried and true risk factors uh, mm-hmm. that are out there that, that that we know about and that right. we all know about and that have been around for for ages, um, and you know things like bullying and and being bullied, you know, right. um, yeah, being bullied, um, being abused, uh, neglect and abuse. You know, a lot of these things are we know that they increase the risk for a person experiencing some of these thoughts and feelings. Right. That's right. There's a long list of risk factors because again, we really don't know exactly what, I mean, it's probably different. It's different among uh, probably different among boys and girls. Mm -hmm. Um, Boys and girls may, may um, engage in self-harming behaviors for different reasons. Um, it could be that they were members of a gender or sexual minority group. Uh, we know that rates are higher among the LGBT. It could be gender differences, um, and, and it could be age differences. We, we don't know. What we do know is that, that parents always ask, well, why would a five, you know, is it even possible? Yes, it's possible. Children as young as five are attempting and committing suicide. And, and parents say, par- parents are always shocked to hear that. Mm-hmm. But while the risk is small, the risk is real. And we even need to take it seriously when a youngster, a five or six year old, starts right. talking about suicide. I don't know how they know about it, but they know about it. We do, we, we know that they know about it, okay? Right. So, so among teenagers in 2020, um, 19, um, uh, percent, um, attempted. And now the difference though, is that among the LGBT community, 47%. So the rates among, uh, teenagers generally are around 20%, but among the LGBT community, they're almost 50%. Right. So again, when you get this minority group, this, this group that is bullied, that is living under stress, whose parents may not agree with their decision, those kind of risk factors increase dramatically in this group of LGBT um, youngsters. So their rates go up, but it's because they have more of the risk factors. Right. And I think that um, and uh, many of us um, you know, think about this, especially in, in this current political climate, uh, especially here in Florida and in some other states where, you know, laws are being passed that 
restrict us, um, especially in the schools, from being able to talk about some of these issues and, and making it more difficult to um, work with students in, in, a, in a confidential um, and supportive manner, um, you know, as, as they're dealing with and kind of working through some of these issues. Um, but, you know, not only are there issues with the with LGBTQ community and that significant increase, but we, we also see it, of course, with those who are struggling with mental health issues. That's right. um, about a third of those who attempt, you know, are identified as having depression. Um, right. And we think, oh, um, of course, you know, depression, you know, right. the, the risk of, of suicidal ideation, but um, nearly two thirds, about 60% who attempted right. have ADHD. Yeah, twice as many have ADHD. So you say, well, I know about depression, but who, who would have thought that ADHD is, not only is it related, it's twice the rate. Right. You know, we go from thirty percent to sixty percent. Right, and so of course we have to think about things like impulsivity and so those kinds of things, um, which which also increases our concern a lot because if you're impulsive, and you know a lot of risk taking behaviors and those kinds of things associated with ADHD, the risk of using more dangerous and lethal means is, right. is there, and that could increase the the rate of uh, death by suicide. Um, so, but when we're thinking about warning signs, I think that. Um, you know, it's, it's so difficult because, you know, the vast majority of people who are depressed never attempt suicide. The vast majority of people who have ADHD never commits, never attempt suicide. Um, Mm -hmm. There is a percentage of people who do, um, but we can't just say, well, if a person has depression, you have to be, you have to, you know, that's a warning sign that that, what we're really looking for are changes. Um, And, and usually uh, they start out as subtle changes, but then as you look back, they become a little bit more um, obvious uh, changes in behavior and mood and some things like that. Right. Yeah. And, and you have to be careful because we're talking about changes in teenagers. Right. And what are, te- what, what are the adolescent years known for? Changes. Okay. Right. So they're going through all these changes about what hair color, what clothing style, what group do I want to run around with? Um, they're wondering about gender identity. So all this stuff, they're separating from their families. Now, this is normal teenage behavior. And yet, it is, is, it's these changes in behavior that might be the first warning sign. But right. we're talking about significant changes in behavior. We're talking about a kid who's done well all of his life in school, and suddenly his, 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 he has absolutely no interest, no motivation or he dramatically changes his clothing style or his language, you know, that he's obviously running around with a different group. So either the child has withdrawn and is isolating or they're engaging in reckless behavior, um, sort of almost inviting catastrophe, um, or they become very isolated from, from family and friends. Okay, so, so one of the warning signs is a dramatic change in behavior. But again, we're talking about a change in teenage behavior, which right. it, it comes with the territory. Because again, the say, all, all of those same changes could happen with another student and there would not be any risk at all. I mean, absolutely. Not. That's right. That's right. It, just because your child gets a body piercing or wants a body piercing or a tattoo, uh, that's that may come with just being an adolescent. Okay? Mm-hmm. So again, um, parents need to stay attuned to their, these changes in behavior. The second is a change in mood, of course. Okay, um, yeah. Suddenly your child who's been pretty 
congenial and pretty easy to get along with becomes very irritable or uh, very anxious or begins to have uh, anger, real significant anger outbursts. Those changes in mood are coming from somewhere. They're caused by something and they need to be uh, taken seriously. Absolutely. Once again, those kinds of things can happen in a typically developing uh, teenager that has no risk for suicidal ideation. Um, right. so, so all of that, of, of course, increases the complexity and the, and the challenges that those of us who work with this population, you know, have when we're, when we're attempting to, you know, explore and understand uh, what, what's happening. Um, you know, one of the, one of this more certain um, warning signs, I suppose, is, is, when teenagers or when anyone um, actually starts talking about death, right. talking about dying, talking about going away, talking about, you know, not wanting to be a problem anymore, or, you know, right. um, you know, I, I'm always, I'm always troubled by the idea of, um, you know, when we look at like self-harm, like, cause we have, um, what does the DSM call it? The non-suicidal self-injury, right. um, you know, cutting and, and those kinds of things. And we certainly would never, um, condone uh, that type of coping and that kind of work with, um, you know, for teenagers or anybody to, to do that kind of thing. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's another one of those significant increases that we are seeing many more teenagers and kids are, are using that strategy to, to cope with unpleasant feelings. Um, there is some chemistry and biology behind that. Um, but just because a student is doing that doesn't mean that they have suicidal ideation. Right. Um, they, they may they may be adamant that they have no interest in, in dying at all, um, but they're doing that as a as a coping strategy. And so, uh, again, we have this really difficult um, uh, you know, line that we have to watch to, to make sure that everybody's safe. That's right. Um, this this excess, uh, excessive talking about dying frequently, especially elementary school children, they will um, occasionally uh, I'll see a family and they'll come in and say, well, he's talking about, well, if he if he was gone, he'd no longer be a problem or he's a big problem in the family. So if he was gone, he would he wouldn't be a problem anymore. Mm -hmm. um, many kids say that. Um, should you does it mean that they're thinking about it? it? It might, but it really doesn't matter whether they will or not. When a kid says that you got to stop everything because they're asking for help. That's a cry for help. Okay, there's something going on that you need to understand. May not be self-harm, but there's something going on in this kid that you need to get to the bottom of it because you don't want the bottom to be self-harm. Okay? Absolutely. And so yeah. parents say, well, what do I do? Should I, should I ask? What you? Should? Yes. Many parents fear that if they ask about, if they're asking about suicide, that they're somehow putting the idea in, in their kids' heads. The idea is already there. Okay, even in five or six year olds, it's there. So by talking about it, you're not making matters worse. In fact, reaching out that way, just talking about it very openly shows that you care. And that's probably what many of these kids are looking for is when they mention it, that you don't overreact, but you express interest and that shows that you do care. And that opens up the communication between a parent and a child. So our motto is when in doubt, reach out. If, right. if, if you're if you're wondering about it, go ahead and reach out and talk to your kid about it. Uh, don't scare them about right. it, but have that conversation because we don't know why. We don't, you don't know why. You don't yet know why um, a kid feels that he's such a problem that he should kill that he should 
self-harm, but we do know that there's something going on. So when in doubt, reach out. Absolutely. And, and when you think about talking with there, there's, you know, there's lots of strategies and lots of ideas. And um, one of the links in the show note is to a Psychology Today article that that is about, you know, how to talk about suicidal right. thoughts to your kid. And, and it's a nice long article that, that gives you lots of information. But right. one the ones that we really pulled from is, you know, another link in the show notes is from from healthcare um from Utah and, um, and it's talking about suicide. And I, I, it is important to think about how we talk about suicide based upon age levels. Um, you know, at different, you know, you're certainly not going to talk to your eight-year-old in the same way that you would talk to your 15-year-old. That's going to be a very different types of type of conversation. And and this link helps give some of that guidance based upon that developmental level. Yeah. Yeah. Many parents say, well, when should I start talking about this? Well, at about age eight, you know, that that's about the time when kids really start thinking about this in a more adult-like way. Uh, by eight years old, kids, most kids know that death is really final. Five-year-olds may not, but eight-year-olds do. So you say, why eight? Because that's the age of reason. That's the, that's the time when you can really talk to your kids about um, these, these conceptual things that you couldn't have when they were eight. But again, why wait? Because we know that kids as young as eight. So or have thought about it. So with very young children, so what this article does, and this is from the Utah study, and I said earlier that uh, Utah has, has um, really done a very good job with this. They've collected really good data and they have, because of the alarming rates of um, self-harm in children and teens, they have developed, uh, the state has developed a program. So this is taken from their, uh, from their website. For young children, by young children, we mean um, probably through kindergarten or first grade. So we're talking about five or up to five or six. For those kids, keep it very simple and put it in a, put it in a health, physical health context that you can just say to them, they had a disease in their brain, they had an illness and it overwhelmed them. It, it, it took over for some reason, just as you would talk about any other health problem. So how, you, how would you talk about um, explaining death by any other um, cause, um, that's how I would treat this, that in general, you talk about a disease, but it's in a person's brain instead of somewhere else in their body. Right. And you can do the same thing with kids in elementary school, but you have to be honest. So in elementary school, honesty is best. Keep it simple. But by elementary school, kids are going to start to ask more difficult questions. Right. Okay. So so be ready, be ready to answer those questions. Right. And it's not until middle school that you really are going to start going into some detail. That's right. um, mm-hmm. And because, you know, at that age, they are looking on the Internet and they are, you know, they're hearing a lot more than we think that they hear. And so you want to correct. And, and this is this is huge for those of us who work with with kids who um, know someone who has uh, died by suicide or right. um, it, it is we, we need to work really hard to correct misinformation mm-hmm. um, because you know, rumors and, and theories and everything get thrown out uh, very quickly. And as adults, we can kind of weed through those pretty quickly. But um, middle schoolers have a little bit more difficulty with that. And, you know, all of a sudden you start getting into these fantastical um, stories about this was what happened and this is what was going on. And there was this, you know, m- massive conspiracy or, or, or whatever of, of things happening that sort of, you um, coalesced into this person, um, you know, dying by suicide, 
we have to clean that up. We have to clear that out and, and correct that misinformation. Um, you can talk about uh, the person's illness and, and their depression and what they were going through, um, but um, but do so in a way that's informative and helps them, you know, look at themselves and sort of develop some insight on, you know, have you ever experienced thoughts of self-harm? Have you ever had some of those thoughts? Because, you know, while this person was going through this and it was really sad, you know, they may, there may have been help that they could have had to, to prevent them from do, making some of these decisions. And, um, but all of this depends on the relationship with the child. That's right. right. We, you know, you want to have these conversations with your children. This, this, is, this is life and death when, when kids get to middle school. But it's middle school when parents and, and their children start to really but uh, have difficulties in their relationship because they, the kids are, are, are separating. They want more control and the parents don't want to give them to them. Don't do anything that damages your relationship with your children. Um, it's, it, the teenage years can be tough, especially the early teenage years, but you don't wanna damage the relationship because in order to have discussions like this about self-harm, you need to have a good relationship with your child. Right. You know, you can't have this kind of a discussion if the two of you are always fighting about everything because this is just gonna be another source of, uh, of argument. So um, make sure you, you, make sure you, you maintain a, a good relationship right. with your child. When you move into the teenage years, the, the later middle and late teenage years, you're going to have a similar conversation, similar kind of conversation. So when, you're, when your child is in high school, um, now you can talk about mental illness because now they understand what mental illness is and they, they may have had depressed, uh, depressive thoughts. They may have friends who have mental illness. They're aware of mental illness. They're aware of medications. So you can, you can continue the discussion you had in middle school and probably talk more specifically about mental illness and, um, and the relationship of mental illness to suicidal thoughts. Right. Absolutely. So, so as you, as just kind of pulling some of this together, you know, um, when we think about when we need to worry about our, our teenagers or our kids and, and, and all, we're looking for those significant changes in move, significant changes in behavior, um, you know, massive drops in their academic performance, you know, massive issues with, with friends or, or uh, acquaintances. If they stop taking care of themselves, if they stop eating, if they stop, um, you, know, you know, just, again, stop kind of self-care types of things. They're talking about death too much. All of these things that like we've talked about before, you know, those are the warning signs. But also a massive warning sign is if someone else that the kid knows has committed suicide or exactly. um, if, a, um, if, an, uh, if an idol or somebody that they look up to, uh, a celebrity or, um, you know, an athlete or professional athlete or somebody like that, um, you know, dies by suicide, you know, that those are also kind of risk factors or things that we need to be mindful of and, you know, talking to them at the developmentally appropriate age level um, is, is really important. Right. Um, when I was in Austin, Texas, we had a, what became known as an epidemic of suicide. Um, uh, a student committed suicide and within a few weeks, two or three, uh, two or three kids from the same school had committed suicide. So we, we call it copycat suicide. Um, so you have to be careful because, you know, you go to the memorial service and everybody's feeling bad and they're crying. And, you know, if you're, if you're already in a depressive state, um, you think to yourself, well, I wouldn't, 
I mean, kids think like this, you know, I, I would like to have that same kind of attention. I'd like for people to feel that way about me. And you get into copycat suicides, you know, or maybe that is a good solution. You know, the, his, her worries are over or his, his, um, his ter turmoil and his torment is over. Now he's at peace. And that's the same kind of peace that I would like to experience. So there is one of the, one of the risk factors is copycat suicides. Absolutely. So, so what um, this, this last section is more about what can you do? It's taken from Johns Hopkins uh, website. They, they address these issues, do it in a very thoughtful, up-to-date, accurate manner. And they had a, a very uh, long uh, article, but one of the sections in the article is um, how can I help prevent my teen from attempting suicide? And I think these are, these are worth going through. Um, um, because they, they, they are very practical suggestions. But again, they begin with a relationship. You have, you have to have a relationship with your child in order to have these discussions. And the first thing you have to do is you have to know the warning signs of teen suicide. We've talked about them um, in the previous section, but you have to know what the warning signs are So, so because you want to prevent uh, an attempt from occurring. To do that, you have to open line of communication, not only with your teenager, but also with his or her friends, because it gives you an, the relationship and talking to kids gives you an opportunity to step in when it might be needed. Right. Yeah. A lot of parents uh, of, of kids that we see, um, they'll say, well, I, I knew I needed to bring her in because um, her friend called and or texted mm -hmm. me or, or reached out to me and said that she's making some you know, concerning statements on social media or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, you want to have that open communication with not only your child, but your child's friends. That's right. Um, go ahead. Now, so what are the, what are the practical things that you can do? Okay. For goodness sakes, keep medicines and guns away from kids. Don't assume that your kids aren't taking your medications. Right. Um, it may not be your children who are taking them, but it could be kids that your, your children know may say, hey, do your parents take any medication? You know, can you get me some, okay? Um, and kids do this sort of stuff, okay? So keep, medic keep medications, especially the psychotropic medications that can cause trouble, keep medicines and guns away from children and teens. There was a, another um, shooting and that was in the news recently, and it was, how did this kid get access to these guns? How did, how did he get access to the, the, um, the guns and ammunition that he brought to school that day? Well, right. he had a, somehow he had access to them and right. kids should not have access because right. kids do stupid stuff like this. Okay. So that's one way to prevent it is keep the means of self-harm away from children. Absolutely. Uh, another, obviously, um, and, and hopefully this one is, is hopefully this one is obvious is um, you know, if you see that your child is having some mental health issues or substance abuse issues or anything like that, getting them help immediately, you know, being right. supportive of them, you know, telling, listening to them and, and getting them the help that they need, you know, without being overly critical, without being overly punitive, without you know, being without insulting their intelligence, without um, being, you know, very negative and nagging with them, stay connected to them, get them the help that they need and, and connect them with someone that can help them. Um, even if, if you're sort of limited in what you can do out, outside right. of that relationship. 
Right. And so, and so as a parent, you need to become informed. Again, it's not likely that a child is going, it's not likely that a child is going to commit suicide, but given how important it would be, um, if they did, even if they were self-harming, um, you have to inform yourself about this. And the easiest way is just go to the internet. Right. We get, get reliable information from reliable sources. Um, many medical schools, medical centers um, have websites. Uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics. There are professional websites that you can go to to inform yourself and learn about the warning signs. We talked about the warning signs, but know what the warning signs are so that, so that you can recognize them as a possible risk factor for um, self-harm and suicide. Right. Yeah. And, and when you go to those same sites, you're going to find like warning signs for depression and warning signs oh. for um, warning signs for suicidal ideation and things like that. So yeah, be knowledgeable about it. Look for those changes, changes in the mood, changes in behavior, like we talked about before. Right. Um, but, you know, they, there are, um, just know your kid and know, um, have that relationship with them. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that we're really trying to reinforce here is you, you have to have that relationship with them. Um, you know, and, and even if your kid isn't going through it, having that relationship will help them feel comfortable coming to you if they have a friend that's going through something. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. And so then you can talk to them and you can try to get them some support if they need it. Um, so the relationship is just so important. Yeah. So there's nothing, there's nothing worth damaging. Your, we, we, and we say this all the time to parents. I can't think of a single thing, not straight A's, not superstar athlete, not anything that's worth damaging your relationship with your children. Right. I mean, there, there's nothing more important than maintaining a relationship with your child. There's nothing that child will do, not in sports, not in theater, not in music, not in grades, not in getting into Harvard. Nothing is more important. Nothing is so important that you would damage your relationship with your child. So first of all, you take care of the relationship. Everything else will flow from that. And it's especially important with, with issues like self-harm, where it, it, where the consequences are so dire, they're so significant that you certainly don't want to do anything that might contribute to your child's struggles uh, that they might be having with uh, thoughts of, of self-harm or suicide. Right. So first of all, um, maintain that relationship, nurture that relationship, because you want them to come to you first. If a child, I mean, the ideal situation is if the child is think, is even considering that, that we want them to come to their parents first. Right. And, but your parents have to be available. Right. And, and, and if you're listening to this uh, and you're experiencing any of the any suicidal ideation or any of these types of self-harming thoughts or if you're if your kid is or um, if you have a friend who is, um, you know, think about calling the, the there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Um, right. It's 1-800-273-TALK. Um, you know, there, there are loads of um resources for, you know, whether you're, even if you're international, international resources uh, for, for suicide hotlines, uh, find a therapist. There are many therapy directories online um, that you can find a, a good therapist in your area. Um, good therapists uh, virtually now, you yeah. know, something that's come yeah. out of the pandemic yeah. situation. 
if you don't know what else to do, call the suicide hotline. Those are people who know about this. They know where the resources are. They'll give you good advice immediately that you can start to follow. So don't hesitate. Right. Absolutely. So uh, it, again, it, this is a difficult topic. This is a difficult thing to think about. None of us want to think about it, uh, but it is that it is important that we do so that we can, you know, hopefully help students, help kids that are experiencing these kinds of troubles and going mm-hmm. through these really difficult times so that we can kind of help them pull out of it and, and find some support and some help to, to live a, a happier life. Mm-hmm. Right. So, all right. Well, I, I think that's I think that's it then for today. Right. Um, you know, we'll we'll kind of keep an eye on the on the numbers and uh, give updates as they uh, come available. So, right. Yeah. Until next time, uh, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.